Last Sunday, October 2nd, 2022, together we did something that we had not done in over two years. You see, March 7th, 2020 was the last time we came forward and received the communion elements, bread and wine, body and blood. Two years ago, over two years ago, was the last time we came forward and, and kneeled at the railing, receiving a cup from a tray or dipping a piece of bread into the cup. Much of our lives is still returning to normal or whatever normal used to be since words like COVID, masks, Fauci, ouchy, boosters, and vaccines became part of our common vernacular. But last Sunday, we came forward to receive body and blood. Some chose to kneel, while others chose to stay in their seats. Some of us knew exactly what to do. The rhythms of our liturgical lives together coming back like riding a bicycle. Yet for some, for others, we found ourselves asking, when do I stand? When do I sit? When do I kneel? What page in the hymnal am I looking for right now? There were some awkward moments, to be sure, but there were also moments of pure grace. There was a father and son at the 8.30 service. They like to get up earlier than you all do. Came forward, received their prepackaged elements, and instead of returning to their seats, they kneeled right here together. Dad helping son peel back the prepackaged elements. Together, they received communion here at the rail, and then they held hands and they prayed for one another. At this service last week, back in the back half of the sanctuary, back in the cheap seats, there was a, a mother and son generations ahead of the father and son from the 8.30 service who were seated in a pew. The son took the large chalice that I had taken back to them, and he held it in front of his mother, serving her communion, saying, Mom, this is the blood of Christ given for you. Son serving mother after she had spent decades serving and caring for him. If you were here last week, then you know that we are in our second week of our stewardship campaign. And God bless you for coming back. God bless you for coming back because you know this congregation is about to hit you up for money so that we can be in ministry together. And if you arrived this morning and are now thinking to yourself that you are smack dab in the middle of a fundraising campaign, thank you for not walking out. For the better part of a month, we've been in Jesus' parables. Jesus' parables are his way of taking earthly elements, mixing them together, and then proclaiming a biblical truth. Those parables found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, can leave us scratching our heads, can leave us confused, angry, but then also amazed by the grace of God. But today we're stepping out of the parables. We're looking at a healing story. You see, Jesus is traveling between two regions, between Galilee and a place called Samaria. Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem, headed to the cross. And he's moving through what we could think of like an unofficial neutral zone, a demilitarized zone between two factions that do not 
want anything to do with one another. The Samaritans and those who live in Galilee do not get along. These two groups of people would not be caught dead helping one another, let alone cohabitating in the same territory. So Jesus enters a, an unnamed village, and he's approached by ten men, ten lepers, ten people who are forced because of, a, of their skin to live outside of the community. And upon seeing Jesus, they shout, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Have pity on us. Show us mercy. And so Jesus says to the men, go and show yourselves to the priests. You see, what Jesus doesn't say is that the priests, those are the religious professionals of the day, those who get up in front of congregations and have very wise things to share. Those are the people who do, could declare someone to be clean, someone to be made whole or healed. But as the men turn and they begin to make their journey to the priest, they are healed. And then realizing what had just happened, one of the men turns and approaches Jesus, goes straight up to Jesus, falls on his hands at Christ's feet and begins to praise God. And this story sounds normal enough for the New Testament. It sounds like something Jesus would do, heal somebody who needs to be healing. But after the man falls at Jesus' feet, the man is identified as a Samaritan. You remember the Good Samaritan, the parable Jesus told a few weeks ago? If you skipped Sunday school the day Samaritans were covered, here's what you need to know. First century Jews did not go near first century Samaritans or Samaria. And so in this lesson, Jesus is too close to a place he should not be near, and he is healing a person he should not be healing according to the cultural understandings of the first century. Samaritans were considered by their Jewish counterparts to be culturally inferior in liturgical and theological heretics. On Samaritans, Rachel Held Evans wrote that Jews hated Samaritans for their mixed Gentile blood and their alternative worship style. Samaritans were others. As Jesus said in our lesson, they were foreigners. Now, it would be easy to look at this lesson and go, look, there's an outsider. He recognized Jesus and showed Jesus gratitude for a simple act of mercy. Go now, you congregation. Go into Arlington and do likewise. But that's not what's happening in this healing. In doing that, I would be taking this lesson and turning it into something you have to do today which cancels out the good news that Christ has already accomplished for us that which we cannot do on our own. He did it for free. It's a better deal than you're going to find this week on Amazon. The Samaritan man returns and falls at the feet of Jesus because this man realizes that his life has been transformed by the grace of God. He has been changed from the inside out by the work of God. The priest he was going to see probably wouldn't have taken the appointment, let alone declare this man to be clean, because in the eyes of a first century Jewish, Jewish priest, no Samaritan could ever be clean. 
in a world that told this man over and over, no, no, you're over there. Jesus goes to the man and says, you are my beloved, you are healed, you are made whole, and you are free. This lesson cannot be about gratitude because as Linnea pointed out to the kids, humans are not naturally thankful. Contrary to what your kids were saying in front of the crowd, I know they don't like to write thank you notes because I don't like to write thank you notes. Thankfulness is not an intrinsic human quality. In her book, Grateful, The Transforming Power of Giving Thanks, author Diana Butler-Bass writes that gratitude is not a disposition that comes naturally. It's not something that we do off the cuff. It's an outlook on life that manifests itself through actions, through intentional actions. She writes that gratitude is an ethic. Think about it. When you were a kid, your parents taught you to say thank you. Say thank you to your Mima for your Christmas present. Tear, make sure you write a thank you card to Uncle Pete for the graduation gift. Tear, how many times do I have to tell you to say please and thank you when we're in public? The Samaritan's gratitude was a supernatural response because he was saved from the inside out by the grace of God. This Samaritan was never to have spoken to Jesus, come near him, or have anything to do with Jesus, the first century Jewish rabbi. But as theologian Tony Tony Jones points out, the reason this man is able to approach Jesus is because Jesus is a human. In God, or in Christ, God puts on human flesh coming to us so that we can go to him. The generosity of God cutting across the cultural barriers, the liturgical and theological lines that we draw in the sand produced a response of gratitude. The Samaritan celebrated what had been done for him. The Samaritan is celebrating what has been done for us. The very thing that we remember and celebrate when we gather around Christ's table of grace. When we gather at the table, we begin with gratitude. We begin with praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God, all creatures here below. Praise God above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. The gratitude that we expressed last Sunday was a response to the generosity of God. We did it with responses, hands held out, Thanks be to God. Praise the Lord. Or with tears of joy coming down our face because we didn't have words to say as we received the bread and the wine, knowing that Christ has saved us by his faithfulness when our faithfulness runs out. Because we are recipients of a supernatural grace, something that we have difficulty putting a name on it, but once we've named it, or once we've experienced it, we know exactly what it is and we're never the same. Our posture changes. Our response is one of gratitude. And that shifts our worldview entirely. Worship goes from being a 60-minute hostage situation to being a posture that we assume 
in everything that we do throughout the week. Stewardship becomes joy-filled giving instead of a fundraiser without the canvas tote bag where the giver is constantly looking for a return on their investment. Jesus told the Samaritan man to get up and go on your way because your faith has made you well. There's a better translation, though. We lose something when we go from Greek to English over and over again with our scriptures. Get get up and go on your way. Your faith has saved you. The mustard seed-sized faith that this man had transformed him from the inside out. And the same is true for all of us, the sinners and the saints of the church. Robert Capon wrote, Grace waits for us to accept our own destruction and in that acceptance to discover the power of the resurrected and new life in Christ. God's generosity produces gratitude in us, moving us away from wondering what's in it for us to seeing the kingdom-building work that we are called to do as an opportunity to be the extension of the generosity of God's grace. Grace, gratitude, and generosity. They begin with God, and they draw us back to God, and they send us back out in God's name. And such is the kingdom of God. Amen.